You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs. Uh, We'll be in chapter 1. We'll be a lot of other places. If you're new here, uh, my name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors, and we're just thrilled that you chose to worship with us this morning. If you're watching online, maybe you're doing that for the first time or you've been doing that for a long time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, everything we have to say this morning will come out of and be rooted in the passages that, that Bianca just read for us. And hopefully you heard in those passages that there are four types of fools. There's the stubborn, the simple, the sluggard, and the scoffer. I did that thing again this morning where today's sermon is really closely tied to last week's sermon. And so this is part two. Last week was part one. And if you missed last Sunday then uh, some of this might feel like walking into a movie like an hour after it already started. And so you'll need last week's for for all of this this morning to make sense. And so if that's you, if if this is your first time here, if you just missed last Sunday, uh, forgive me in advance for any moments that might seem unclear. If you go back and listen last Sunday, hopefully it'll all come together. We're in a a sermon series on wisdom. And if you just remember with me for a moment where we've been, uh, we've said that uh, wisdom is, is living in God's world in God's way. Wisdom has a posture, it's low it has a pace, it's slow. Wisdom has a person, it's Jesus. We become wise in relationship with him. The starting place and staying place for wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs says it's the beginning of wisdom. What the fear of the Lord is not is it's not being so afraid of life that we forget God, like fearful. It's not being so afraid of God that we run from him, like faithless. The fear of the Lord is I am so overwhelmed by, I'm so taken with his greatness and grace that I move towards him in all of my life, and that makes us wise. That's kind of the paragraph that we've been building together in this series. We added another step last week. We added this uh, sentence, if you will, that, that Proverbs is going to teach us that part of becoming wise, this is very important, part of becoming wise is learning how to spot foolishness, how to see it, how to name it. And the most important place to be able to spot it is when it's in you. For me, it's, it's the most important place for me to be able to name foolishness is when it's in my life. For you, the most important place for you to be able to see it is when it's in your life. And, and what, what Proverbs does, it does something that's so interesting, and it's so helpful, and it's so incredibly challenging. It helps us learn to, to spot foolishness by giving different types of foolishness a name. Proverbs is going to say, you just heard it in the verses, that there are different forms of foolishness, and then it names them, the stubborn, which is just the, the word for fool the simple, the sluggard, and the scoffer. So here's, here's the idea. Uh, foolishness might come out of my life differently than it comes out of yours. I might be prone to a different form of foolishness or different forms than, than what you are. And so last week, I hope this was helpful, we compared it, we likened it to kind of the modern-day personality test, right? I'm sure you've taken one where you've done StrengthsFinder or Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or something like that. And so uh, in the same vein that you might have clarity on your personality type. And and so I would say I'm a harmonizer, I'm ENFJ. Maybe you'd say I'm a certain number or I have a certain combinations of of strengths. Proverbs invites us to take a test that's incredibly important. It's more important than knowing your number, more important than knowing your combination of letters. And it invites us to consider what type of foolishness exists in our life. What type of, of, of fool are we prone to? Do we see it? And being able to name it. 
And why is because part of becoming wise is being able to spot foolishness. And the most important place to spot it is when it's in you. So it offers a kind of test, and it's not exciting. It's not encouraging, but it is really, really important. So part of the hope as we move through this is that as these types are described, there could be this, oh, that's me moment, right? That happened last week. We, we, we did this last week and, and continued to do it this morning. The Proverbs names and describes these types of fools. And so we'll consider the verses that uh, describe the types, and we'll turn those verses into questions and examine our hearts for what it reveals. So this is week two on what type of fool am I? Welcome to church. Um, <laughs> this is heavy. Uh, this is hard. Uh, this week will be harder than last week. At least that's my experience of it. I-, I will need to say hard things. There is good news. There's good news. And we will end with good news. But we need to look at and sit in some of, the, some of the bad news for a bit. And I can't stress this enough. The point is not to shame. The point is not accusation. The point is this, to use the Bible's words to be able to name foolishness in our life that we might receive grace and grow in wisdom. And by God's grace, that happened last week. We spent all of our time on the first type, the stubborn. I spoke to many of you who just named ways that the Bible convicted. The most common response I heard, maybe just the one that came back to me for some reason, were the number of husbands who told me they turned to their wives and just said, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really sorry. For, you've been married to stubborn for a long time. And that's, that's a wise response, right? That response reveals a fear of the Lord, a desire to move towards God. That's the mark of someone that is becoming wise, leaving stubbornness behind and, and seeking Jesus, right? So we'll continue to take the test this morning, ask two questions about each type. We'll ask, who are they and how do you spot them? Last week, we gave all of our time to stubborn. They're wise in their own eyes. How you spot them is they are uh, slow to listen, quick to express their opinion. They weaponize truth. They're easily offended. They're quick to quarrel, slow to pursue peace. This morning, we'll do the simple, the sluggard, and the scoffer. Who are they and how do you spot them? Lord, help us. I'll start with the simple. Proverbs 1.4 says this, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Proverbs 9.4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense, she says. Who are the simple? What type of fool is being described? The word in Proverbs has a range of meaning, and sometimes it uses the word simple to simply describe children, to describe those who are young, to describe those who have not yet gained wisdom, but it's not their fault. They just haven't been taught, right? Like a child. And so it's normal and it's natural. The book of Proverbs exists to teach the simple. You hear it in these verses, to give prudence to the simple. That's the purpose of the book. Wisdom calls out in chapter 9 to the simple, turn and hear, come into wisdom's home and stay. One of the reasons that the book is presented as a conversation between parents and children is because children are simple, they're naive, they're impressionable, and it's the role of the parent to teach wisdom to their children. Wisdom calls to the simple and says, you don't know yet what to believe, believe this. You don't know how to, how to exist in life. Well, well, wisdom is living in God's world in God's way, and there is something about the heart of the child that is able to receive wisdom and instruction. I think of Jesus using children as the ones who model the kind of faith that enters the kingdom. Okay, so there is a way that this person is described in Proverbs. You will find some Proverbs that talk about the simple, and who it's talking about is it's talking about children. It's talking about, like, there is a way in which a 10-year-old, there's a way in which a 13-year-old, there's a way in which maybe even those in their late teens in a certain stage of life, there is a simple to them, but it's natural, and it's normal, and it just needs guidance. Okay, in 122, though, it says this, How long, O simple ones, 
Will you love being simple? And it doesn't mean how long children will you be children. That doesn't make sense. It's saying there is a form of foolishness named simple, and it's where childishness, youth, adolescence has persisted into adulthood. Meaning there is a naivety that's present in an adult that makes sense in the life of a child, but it's foolish in the life of a grown-up. And that's what's in mind in chapter 1, verse 22. How long will it take wisdom? How much older will you have to be before you leave childishness behind? I have three kids. My three-year-old, my youngest, she started doing this thing where anytime she doesn't get her way, she will ask a question. Do you love me? If she's being disciplined, Ayla, that's her name, Ayla. Ayla, do you need to go to timeout? Do you love me? <laughs> Ayla, you need to eat your food. Do you love me? Ayla, turn off the show. Ayla, don't kick your brother. Do you love me? <laughs> Sometimes she says it even before I've said anything to her. Before I can, can even respond, she'll say, Dad, can I have some chocolate chips? Do you love me? <laughs> and you know what that is? That's really cute. It's a scary form of manipulation that works most of the time, but it's cute. And, and here's why it's cute, because she's three. But if wisdom doesn't work that out of her life, if there is this instinctive reaction to correction where she always makes it about love being on the line, do you love me? If as she ages, she can't handle guidance, if as she ages, she can't handle correction without it being tied to a question of, am I loved? Like at some age, that's not cute anymore. It's just foolish. At three, it's cute. Uh, at 13, it's okay. There's just, there's work to do. At 23, it's sad. At 33, it's destructive. At 43, she's lived half of her life unable to receive correction without crumbling into a question of, am I loved? Unable to see correction guidance as an expression of love. And what do you call that at 43? Foolish. That's foolishness. It's adolescence that has persisted into adulthood, and that's who the simple are. The verse is asking, how long will a kind of childishness win out over wisdom? How do you spot the simple? A couple things. There is no depth to their belief, first. That's the thing that stunts them in life. That's the thing that keeps them frozen in adolescence, is that there's no depth to their belief. Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believes everything but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The simple believes everything. It means they're impressionable like a child. If you believe everything, it means you believe nothing. There's no depth to belief. So the simple are easily led astray by whatever is new, whatever is attractive. They're all about the moment, what feels good in the moment, what seems right in the moment. So belief for the simple, belief always just stays in the ears. It never makes its way to the heart. And because it stays in the ears, it's easily replaced by something or anything that sounds better. There is no depth to belief. That's how you spot the simple. Connected to that, closely connected to that is, because there's no depth to belief, there's no long obedience in the same direction. Proverbs 1.32, for the simple are killed by their turning away. Uh, it's a metaphor. Wisdom is a path. Righteousness is a road that you walk in the Old Testament. And there's a path to wisdom, living in God's world and God's way, and the simple turn away from it over and over and over again. The simple know the path. They know where it is. They know how to find it. They maybe even take some steps on it, but they never stay. They never stick with the path. Like a child who can't sit still, that's the simple 
in their belief and obedience. That's how they operate in it. So see this, so important. Like this is true for every other type of fool, but for the simple, they are not uninformed. They know the right things. They have the right information. The simple are not uninformed. They are unchanged by what they know. And it's because they don't stay committed to the path long enough for knowledge to turn into wisdom, long enough for knowledge to turn into belief. So there's no long obedience in the same direction. I need to say something. Every single metaphor in the New Testament for sanctification, which is just the theological word for becoming like Jesus, every single New Testament metaphor for becoming like Jesus is a slow metaphor. It's like a seed that goes into the ground. It takes time to grow. It's like a marathon that takes time to run. It's like a tree planted. It's like a vine that grows. It's all slow. It all takes time. And what would be easy to believe in the culture that we live in, in our, in our immediate download culture, it'd be easy to believe that, that what wisdom is, is wisdom is trying to figure out how to grow faster than everyone else. How do I learn faster? How do I become like Jesus faster? And that's not it. The Christian life is not a life of speed and comparison. It is a life of patience and faithfulness. It's long obedience in the same direction. And it sounds like this. My feet found the path, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to sin, and I'm going to move slow, and I'm still broken, and I'm going to need help. But my feet are fixed here, and they're following Jesus. The simple are killed by their turning away, which means they find the path and then they leave it. They don't have the spiritual attention span. That's not a statement about cognition. It's a statement about, it's not about, it's not about, um, you know, uh, it's not about the way that the mind operates. It's about the outlook. They, they, there's no depth to their belief. And so they don't have the spiritual attention span for faithfulness to develop. They are not uninformed. They're unchanged by what they know. And because they don't stay committed long enough for knowledge to turn into wisdom. How do you spot the simple? There is no long obedience in the same direction. Let's turn it into a question and take the test. Is your life marked by faithful obedience to God. Not perfection, but a long obedience in the same direction. Can you name ways that what you believe has changed you recently? Because that's the mark of belief that goes deep in your heart, is that it actually costs you something. It changes you in ways. Is there a long list of spiritual things you started, but no list of things that you've stayed with? Well, you know, I, I just like trying new things. Okay, I get it. Me too. Ecclesiastes 7.8 says this, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. Eugene Peterson says it this way, staying put is better than standing out. How do you spot the simple? There's no depth to their belief, no long obedience in the same direction. I'll do another one. The simple have shallow appetites. How do you spot the simple? They have shallow appetites. Proverbs 9, this is Lady Folly. She calls out in verse 16, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And him who lacks sense, she says. And here's her appeal. Here's her argument to the simple. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You hear folly call out to the simple and appeal to, appeal to what? Sweet water. A secret, pleasant bread. So folly preys on the lack of depth and appeals to simple's shallow appetite. All she has to do is say it's sweet, it's pleasant. And because of that appeal to the shallow appetite, simple leaves the path and chases pleasure. The simple are easily drawn away by their appetite for shallow things. My three-year-old again, we get donuts every Friday. She gets, uh, her favorite donut is the strawberry donut with sprinkles. 
And here's what she does. She eats the top of the donut and that's it. That's all she cares about. Um, she eats the sprinkles, she eats the icing, and she leaves the rest. And so you always know which plate is A-list plate because it has like three donuts on it. And each of those donuts has like 10 little bites taken off the top. And as soon as the sweetest part is gone, she's done with the rest, has no interest in the rest. She has no desire for the parts that aren't as sugary and, and aren't as sweet, right? She, uh, she just wants the sweet surface. And once that runs out, she moves on. And that's how the simple treat life. They just want to stay on the sweet surface of life. They just want the quickest hit and then they move on. They never stay for the substance because their appetite is for what's shallow. But once the shallow starts to give way to depth and depth has a cost, the simple won't pay it. The cost of depth in Proverbs 9 is deny your desires. Turn away from the water that's sweet. Turn away from the bread that's pleasant. Practice self-control. Stay on the path. Avoid folly's house, but they can't do it. Their appetites are too shallow. Lean in, friends. Lean in. How do you spot the simple? They avoid depth. They stay on the surface. They avoid depth. In relationships, the simple are easy to meet, but hard to get to know. They make a good first impression, but all they care about is making a good first impression. They don't allow themselves to be known, which means the simple's plate is filled with relationships where there are a lot of fun times, but very few hard conversations. Once the relationship turns and the discomfort of having to love people sets in, they just move on to the next donut. In a church context, the simple have joined and left several home groups. They don't stay in community because staying means eventually entering into relational depth. Or if they do stay in community, in that community they always stay at the surface. So they will let you know about their hobbies. They will talk a lot about their opinions. They will share a lot about other people and maybe even other people's problems. But when it's time to offer depth themselves, I'm good. We're blessed. Pray for my job. That's it. The simple cannot handle suffering. Can't handle it. Not only their own, the simple can't, not only can they not handle their own suffering, the simple can't comfort those suffering around them. Suffering well and comforting sufferers well requires a depth of belief that the simple has never stayed on the path long enough to acquire. So if you're in a season of suffering, one of the last people you want around you is the simple. Because what the simple will do is they will try to ease your suffering in a way that makes it better for them but not better for you. So they will not sit with you in suffering, but they will try to make it better for them by minimizing your pain in a way that never helps you. It's just an attempt to make it easier on them. My mentor, Eswine, I talked about him last week. He says this, the simple rejoice with those who weep. They try to make it light. The simple will use humor as a way to escape facing the harder realities of life. How do you spot the simple? They have an appetite for the shallow. They avoid depth in relationships. Here would be the question on the test. Is there a community around you that you've allowed to know you? Like, really know you? Is there a community around you that you have shared with them things that you have sworn that you'd never share with anybody? Is there depth with Jesus in your life right now that could carry you through suffering if it comes? One more. The simple avoid correction. Um, hear this. We'll need this. Every type of fool responds to correction in a foolish way, but they are different foolish responses to correction. So do you remember how the stubborn from last week, do you remember how they respond to correction? They ignore it. They are unmoved by it. 
a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into the stubborn. So the stubborn is unresponsive. The stubborn ignores correction. The simple avoids correction. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. It's not, notice, that the simple doesn't see the danger. They just ignore the warnings. They avoid the warnings. They avoid those who in love would say, stop, turn around, choose wisdom. So the simple will gravitate towards voices that affirm them but never challenge them. The simple will orient their spiritual life around prosperity preachers and soundbite sermons. Someone who will say, all God wants for you is the sweet surface. You deserve it. No, you don't have a problem with long obedience. You just have dreams that you're chasing. The simple will distance themselves from people who have tried to have deeper, more challenging conversations. They will stiff arm those people, but they won't be mean about it because the simple don't like the discomfort. So it'll sound like this. Hey, sorry, I haven't called you back. I'm just really busy right now. Kids, school, work, church. Okay, well, maybe we could talk later. Yeah, maybe. Um, how about like 10 years or something like that? Can we, talk, can we talk then? How do you spot the simple? They avoid correction. Remember, there's no depth to their belief. Belief has only stayed in the ears, so they only have space to hear what sounds good. Correction doesn't sound good, so they avoid it, which is the adult version of the child who hides in their room when they know they did something wrong, which is cute, but only if you're a kid, only if you're a child. The question would be, do you seek out accountability and correction? Is there a person in your life you have given permission to ask hard questions, confront in loving ways, and warn you of foolishness? Pay attention if that's the kind of relationship that you're prone to avoid and have been for some time. The simple, there's no depth to belief. There's no long obedience in the same direction. Appetite for the shallow. Avoid correction. What do the simple need? The simple need a savior. We'll come back to that. The next one's the sluggard. We will do these next two a lot, a lot quicker, mostly because preaching sermons that are too long is foolish. So... The sluggard, Proverbs 6, 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Proverbs 26, 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Who is the sluggard? What type of fool are we hearing about? The sluggard is the type of fool who refuses to put in the work required to live a life that honors God. And it doesn't just mean work like vocation. You'll find a lot of Proverbs that talk about the sluggard and his relationship to vocation. But it's not just that. Proverbs 13.4 says this, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. It's about so much more than whether or not this guy has a job. It's about so much more than whether or not this type works hard in their nine to five, right? The word soul is a word that encompasses all of life. The sluggard's, the sluggard's soul craves there is desire for God. There's even desire for godly things. So what's the sluggard's problem? The sluggard is caught in competing desires. Chapter 21 says their desire kills them. Chapter 26 says they always trust their desire because they're wise in their own eyes. So the sluggard always goes with their gut, and their gut is always going towards comfort and ease. How long will you lie there? Their desire for the things that make the soul flourish can't compete with the deeper desire to avoid the work it takes to get there. Who is the sluggard? The sluggard is someone who says, 
This is the kind of person I want to be, wise, godly, diligent, faithful, but over and again refuses the kind of action that makes us that kind of person. Hear me. I'm not talking about earning God's love. We don't believe we're right with God because of what we do. We're saved by grace, through faith, in Jesus our Savior. But as we've talked about over and again over these few years, the life of becoming like Jesus, being a godly friend, a Christ-like spouse, a godly father, a godly mom, a faithful church member, a loving neighbor, that takes gospel-driven work from us. And here's how that conversation goes with the sluggard. Hey, this is the path of wisdom. This is the path of faithfulness. All are invited. And the sluggard says, man, that sounds great. I want to be on that path. Okay, well, come on. Uh, but then I'd have to get up. I mean, I'd have to fill my days with things that honor God. I'd have to make some hard changes, right? Maybe one way to say it is the sluggard is the person for whom there is increasing distance between what I say and how I live. Their stated belief, there's a growing distance between their stated belief and what they actually love. How do you spot the sluggard? Two. There are more, but we have only time for two. Their life is filled. Goodness, this hurts. Um, their life is filled with small surrenders in the wrong direction. That's how you spot the sluggard. Proverbs 6.10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A little sleep, not much. A little slumber, just a little. A little folding of the hands. Derek Kidner, he is the Proverbs theologian, he says this about the sluggard. He does not commit himself to a refusal, but deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. So by inches and minutes, his opportunity slips away. It's not bold. It's not, I refuse to pursue God. I refuse to pursue godly things. It's far more deceptive than that. It's a combination of small surrenders that add up over time. Have you ever been on the ocean, like on a raft or a paddleboard or something like that? And maybe it's a day when the water is calm, and so you're not really paying attention. You're just enjoying the time, and all of a sudden you look up, and you are like a lot further from the shore than you thought. And then you remember every single shark movie you've ever seen all of a sudden, right? And... Uh, you didn't notice that you were being carried out to sea because there's a drift, but, but sometimes, especially on a calm day, the, the drift is really subtle. There's a current that will take you further and further away from the shore, and unless there is action against the current, you will drift. The natural current of life carries us from God. The natural current of life carries us from Jesus, from Him, from godly things. The sluggard is the person who refuses to act against that current. But not just that, they convince themselves that everything is fine because the drift is so slow. The sluggard is the person who says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Another way, if following Jesus is a fight for your soul, the sluggard doesn't surrender the field. The sluggard just moves back from the line of battle step by step, foot by foot and deceives himself that everything is okay because they haven't yet admitted defeat. It's small surrenders in the wrong direction, the slow drift away. If the question on the test about the sluggard it would be this, maybe does how you spend your time align with what you say is most important in life? Uh, what small surrenders mark your life maybe? 
Does your best effort in any given day match what matters most to God? How do you spot the sluggard? Small surrenders in the wrong direction. Also, they respond to correction by making excuses. The stubborn ignores correction. The simple avoids it. Listen to the sluggard. Proverbs 26, 13 through 14. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed, stuck in his cycle. That's the sluggard's reason for staying in bed, for not walking the path. And it's a good one. Uh, That's the thing about the sluggard's excuses is they are rooted in just enough truth to be convincing. Look, I would get up and I would go outside, but there's a lion out there. And it's not good to get attacked, right? I should want to live, right? Isn't that what God wants for me? So the sluggard can excuse and even spiritualize their foolishness. There's a quote from D.A. Carson. I've shared it several times. I came across it again, and it's so appropriate here, and it hurts. And mostly I keep sharing it because it's so convicting. I just don't want to be the only one feeling this way. So he says this, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise, and here's how we excuse it. We call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. By the way, there's a lion out there, so it's best to stay inside. They excuse themselves from doing what's best by convincing themselves that they're still doing what's good. So the question on the test is, in response to correction, do you offer excuses? Are you formulating them now even? Have you found ways to spiritualize the drift in in your life? Are there small, faithful actions, friend, that you know you should be taking that you've found a way to talk yourself out of? How do you spot the sluggard? They don't fight the drift. There are small surrenders in the wrong direction. They make excuses when corrected. What does the sluggard need? A savior. We'll come back to that. Scoffer. This is the last one. Lean in. It's, it's really important. I've got about five minutes left, so I'll, I'll take 10. <laughs> Proverbs 21, 24. Hear me. This is the most devastating form of foolishness. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Pride and arrogance have a name. It's scoffer. The scoffer is not someone who struggles with pride. They are someone who have given themselves over to pride. It's the most devastating and destructive form of foolishness. Proverbs 24, 9, the devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. Abomination means detestable, destructive. Who is the scoffer? Who are they? The scoffer hates God and hurts people. That's it. They may not say with their mouth that they hate God. They may even say with their mouth that they love God. Maybe even say that they do all that they do in the name of God, but the fruit of their life looks nothing like Jesus. Their name is pride, and pride in its nature is the rejection of, the hatred of, the idea of God. It's the hatred of what life would have to look like if I act like God exists. Scoffer is pride with a name. They hate God. They hurt people. My favorite Batman movie 
that was a hard turn. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite movies, really, is uh, The Dark Knight. That's the one where Heath Ledger plays Joker and just does an incredible job. Uh, there's a scene in that movie where Alfred and, and Bruce Wayne are having a conversation, and Alfred describes this violent criminal whose evil actions just defy reason, and then Alfred explains why they do it, and he says this, some men just want to watch the world burn. And that's the scoffer, at least in the most egregious form, Proverbs 29.8, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Their pride has so consumed them that they set fires wherever they go. So the scoffer's life is filled with people who've been burned by their pride and arrogance. They hate God. They hurt people. How do you spot them? The scoffer avoids godly authority. The word godly is really important there. Proverbs 15, 12, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Reproved means corrected, instructed, led. The wise captures the idea of wise leadership. Scoffers avoid godly authority. They will not submit to it. They avoid it. They run from it. Uh, everyone should avoid ungodly authority. The scoffers avoid godly authority. And the scoffer won't go to the wise. And so what you'll often see is that scoffers will gravitate towards positions of leadership so that they don't have to live under any authority. Scoffers who become leaders of nations are called tyrants. They invade neighboring countries without provocation or just purpose. And they're accountable to God. Scoffers who become religious leaders, they start cults, even if it's just a cult of personality. Or maybe scoffers who become religious leaders, they spiritually abuse people. They construct a church culture where all authority ultimately belongs to them. And Jesus is the only one who can make that claim. Scoffers who are the heads of households, they don't lead their family, they control their family. Their family does not flourish because of them. They are afraid of them. How do you spot the scoffer? They avoid godly authority. Often that means they try to exercise authority in ways that only belong to God. Here's how the scoffer responds to correction. The scoffer hates correction, and the scoffer hates those who correct. Proverbs, 20, or Proverbs 9, 7 through 8, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Scoffers, they, just don't, they don't just hate correction. They hate the person correcting. The stubborn ignore correction. The simple avoid correction. The sluggard makes excuses when corrected. The scoffer will hate you for it. You ever try and correct a scoffer, they make it about you. They ignore the correction and start attacking you. And they can all of a sudden recite a long list of things they hate about you. Because that's what people given over to pride do. They just live their life making mental lists of other people's sins. They live their life making mental lists of other people's weaknesses, or even just the things that bother them about everyone else. And at the moment, the first sign of being corrupt, uh, confronted, they erupt, not in a defense of themselves, but in an attack on you. About five years ago, I met with a man who was abusive in his home. We had met several times, and it was time for me to tell him directly that his behavior was destructive and harmful, that his actions revealed a heart that hated God and hurt people. So I shared that, and I told him that Jesus invites him to repent and receive grace. And he paused after all that, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, I've never really had a chance to tell you this, but I really hate this church. They told me, then he, he went on to tell me all the reasons why he hated the church. 
Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. How do you spot a scoffer? They avoid godly authority. They hate those who correct them. Instead of putting this into a test, I just want to lean into some hard things because this form of foolishness is the most devastating and I need to be really clear about what's needed. Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Where a scoffer is, those around them are abused verbally, physically, spiritually, in other ways. Drive out a scoffer and abuse ceases. Here's what the Bible would have us know about this type of foolishness. Two things. Those around the scoffer need to be protected. The scoffer needs to repent. And that's it. Those around the scoffer need to be protected. And the scoffer needs to repent. The scoffer needs a savior. If you fall anywhere in that, the one needing protection or the one needing to repent, you need help. I want you to know this. Our church would love to be part of that help. Would love to be part of that help. Okay, we'll close this morning like we did last week. End with a final question. Would you just assume a posture of prayer while I keep talking? (laughs) Just end with a final question for you to consider, for us to consider before God. And it's this one. As we've walked through the types, as we've walked through these descriptions, what has your reaction been? As you hear the types explained, as you hear the questions asked, in fact, let me just assume something, if I can. This has all been confrontational. All of it is hard. All of it is corrective. So, so hear me. There should not be a single person in the room who has not at least felt the tinge of correction, if you're honest. What is your response to that correction? If your response is to ignore, that's a stubborn response. If your response is to avoid, like, I'll just let this pass and never come back and not deal with it, that's a simple response. That's a childish response. If your response is to excuse, that's a sluggard's response. It's another small surrender in the wrong direction. If your response is to attack, if your response is to hate, that's a scoffer's response. And my friend, you can either humble yourself now before an almighty God or you will be humbled later by an almighty God. There is another response, and it's our way forward. It's the only response towards wisdom. Friends, I've just been so convicted in all of this, and here is the good news. God has been so good to reveal foolishness in my heart, and here's the good news. The stubborn and the simple and the sluggard and the scoffer, they all have a Savior. It's Jesus Not an ounce of foolishness ever came out of his life. He was perfect. He walked the perfect path of wisdom and righteousness in your place and in my place. Will you turn to him for grace, friend? Will you turn to him for grace? What we most need is Jesus and his grace. Let's pray to him together. Father, we love you. We need you. I see myself all over these verses, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be forgiven for our foolishness. Not only that, Jesus, you have made a way for us to leave our folly behind, to seek grace, to seek forgiveness, Lord. To the simple you call out. And maybe you'd be, you'd be calling someone, if they see themselves in the simple, what you'd call them to do is, is to Seek depth of relationship with those around them, God. 
to, to commit. I'm not going to stay at the surface anymore. I'm going to pursue depth in my relationship with you, Jesus. To the one who would say, gosh, I just feel like the sluggard. I see the slow drift in my life. And what you'd be calling them by your grace to do is to give up the small surrenders in the wrong direction and to make a bold surrender towards you, God. Lay down whatever needs to be laid down that we might walk in freedom and fullness and stay faithful to the path. To those in the room who maybe would say, there's a scoffer in my life that I'm hurt by, God. I pray that you would give them the courage, and it takes so much courage. I pray that you'd give them the courage to seek help, to come down for prayer, to find a friend, God. For the scoffers in the room, Lord, I pray that you would do the good work that you'd, like, like, like Paul, the scoffer, who hated Jesus and hated his people and you knocked him off his horse and you blinded him with your majesty and you changed his life. Would you do that this morning, God? We love you. We need you. 